When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. Today we're going to be talking about Taylor Swift, uh, but we're not going to be debating her new album and what it's going to be about and whether there's a backlash and all of that. We're actually going to leave that alone. Well, mostly alone. Instead, we're going to be talking to Rob Sheffield. Hey, Rob. And Brittany Spanos. Hello. Hey. Hey. And we're going to be talking about a list that Rob Sheffield has made. It is a list of every single Taylor Swift song, pretty broadly defined. Uh, And there's 115 songs on the list, and Rob has ranked every single one. Because his brain can work that way, I would find that extremely (laughs) difficult. Uh, I would still be doing it. I would never stop doing it. I can't even do it. And it's a really powerful list in some because what you come away with is a realization, first of all, that Taylor Swift made a Christmas album. Second of all, (laughs) that Taylor is a really, really serious force to be reckoned with, which I already felt and knew, but it's a reminder of how many great songs she has and the diversity of the sounds and songs and really that, as Rob says in his intro, that People are focusing on the personality right now. They're focusing on the controversies. And in the end, when this stuff is forgotten, there will be the music. And even if she never made another good song, she still has a serious catalog. 115 songs is a lot of songs. I mean, you know, admittedly Christmas songs, but still. So, Rob, you're a Taylor Swift super fan, but digging in this way, how did it affect the way you see her catalog? Well, it's just it's an astounding catalog, especially if you know if if you've been listening from the beginning and and hearing her sort of you know like develop her style from you know her early teen country days, and you know every album has been a huge expansion, and it, it's understandable people get so uh, bedazzled by Taylor Swift the celebrity, but but to, to me the really interesting Taylor and the really un- unprecedented Taylor is is Taylor the musician that you know there are always celebrities but her career as a singer songwriter feeling haver a uh, scarf thrower <laughs> masterpiece ripper upper she's like a complete original and uh, it, to me it's astounding to just sort of just listen to her music as music and hear what she's accomplished Brittany what did you make of Rob's list before we start kind of going into it I love that this list exists and I agree with pretty much all of it. Like, like you know that I love All Too Well a lot and I'm so glad that was at number one because... Eh, eh, spoiler! Oh. Yes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not a huge spoiler. Like, that's, you know, what we'll, a song. We'll get there. Something is number one, yes. Uh, no, I, I think that she's an excellent writer and I think that this list really highlights that part of her because I've had so many conversations, especially around this new era and who Taylor is as a musician gets lost in the narrative of Taylor Swift, the celebrity. And I think having a list like this and really laying out her lyricism, her musicianship, her attention to detail in storytelling and in the way that she really uses words to lay out both the mythology and the reality of who she is, is yeah. really incredible. And being able to look at it 
in this form is really great evidence that I'm going to use in all of my Taylor Swift's <laughs> an iconic artist arguments now. No, nobody can out-argue Brittany when it comes to Taylorology. She is she is the absolute like philosopher queen. Um, for me, it's it's funny. I remember you know as as I'm sure we all do, hearing Fearless for the first time mm-hmm. in 2008, which was just her second album. And I remember hearing that album for the first time and just being completely knocked off my feet. And I I thought this is just a perfect pop album. This is astounding that this exists. She's, you know, she's on her own level. And yeah. you go back to it and, you know, that's, that's, you know, now that's just like her fourth best album. Mm. It's just astounding that she's just, she was on that level when she was still a teenager and she's just kept growing. As I was looking back through her lyrics, a, a bunch of things struck me. One is just her delightful talent for melodrama, you know, <laughs> for just, you know, and, and she and I talked about this a little bit when I, I did her cover story. I mean, she is so as they say extra in the most delightful way like the <laughs> the the smallest things inflated to operatic proportion in in a way that's just so entertaining and i think people are people are focusing on on things now like you know she maybe the the feud with Kanye gets blown up or her other things but that's just how she was going back to like the dude who dumped her when she was 15 you know and yeah. that's but she makes art out of it people act like she's a diarist and that is actually super irritating super sexist and just super dumb um but don't i'm not going to start ranting let's start it's true there. Yeah. people i mean yeah. people condescend to her as a musician i feel like she does not get her due as a musician because they're so again understandably distracted by her as a celebrity but yeah. like Brittany, your, your your theory about her and carly simon is is really brilliant yeah i think that when it comes to taylor she's she knew that she was going to become such i mean she probably didn't realize the tabloid level that this would become but she really played it up in a way that was so smart and really brilliant. I still think she's like probably one of the best pop strategists of the new millennium. And I feel like she's turned Carly Simon's Zero So Vain into a lifelong career <laughs> where she's not going to fully reveal everything. Like we're all going to make these assumptions. Like we're going to assume that this song is about like one song's gonna be about Katy Perry, another song's gonna be about Harry Styles, and we're going to keep assuming that, but she's never exactly going to confirm or deny our assumptions. And so we're just left guessing and left deciphering, and I think that's so brilliant. And then what you get is you're just unlocking these incredible stories and lyrics that are there already. Yeah. And you're just spending your time trying to figure out who you're so famous about. I mean, I think it's genuinely possible, in fact, probable that, you know, for example, like songs about Jake Gyllenhaal will be famous long after Jake Gyllenhaal is famous. You <laughs> know, that that may end up being very much the least thing about some of these songs. No one's going to care, you know, Absolutely. 10 years from now. All around the now. world, mm-hmm. at this moment, all around the world, teenagers are listening to Joni Mitchell records that she made, you know, like 40, 50 years ago. And none of them know or care who, you know, last time I saw Richard is about in real life. People are coming to these songs fresh because they tell a story that anybody can, you know, can hear themselves in. And so it doesn't really matter who Joni Mitchell wrote those songs about. And, you know, eventually nobody will remember or care. Yeah. The answer is always someone from the cast of Full House. Anyway, <laughs> um, so let's start at the bottom of the list. <laughs> Number 115 on Rob Sheffield's list of the greatest Taylor Swift songs of all time, which means this is his pick for the worst Taylor Swift song of all time is a song you may have heard of, Bad Blood. Bad Blood is the worst Taylor Swift song of all time, Rob. Worse than Santa Baby, the next one. Uh, So why is bad... You know, I never contemplated Bad Blood as bad. I I just... It just sort of is there. It's not my favorite Taylor Swift song, but it's catchy. I just... Why is that the worst Taylor Swift song? 
it, to me, it's it's it sounds really grating. It doesn't sound like it's up to her <laughs> songwriting standards. Uh, for her to sign off on a lyric that rhymes, we got problems and we haven't solved them in a chorus is that sounds like you know a first draft f- by her standards. You know that's usually not where she leaves a song. Yeah. Do you agree that it's her worst song, Brittany? Yeah, I definitely... <laughs> you said that with, with real contempt. <laughs> I was thrilled when I saw that it was the last song. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I just I don't like the song. I always skip it. Sometimes I'll like let it play through, but it's just like it doesn't... It vaguely fits into 1989 in the sort of big pop, just anthemic vibe of it. But it's just, it, like you said, it's so grating and her excellence lies in nuance and this song has none absolutely yeah i agree i will touch upon the uh, band-aids don't fix bullet holes line (laughs) which gets into something we were talking about before the show which is you could play a game who wrote this lyric pete wentz or taylor swift (laughs) and that is a pure fallout boy lyric like i mean it's unfreaking believable and 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 it's you know it can't it sometimes it must be a coincidence but in in fact as she loves fallout boy like really really loves them i I was saying that you know when i did my story with her and she was asking me you know what cover stories i did whatever and I, i named Fall Out Boy and she freaked out she like really was very excited she loves Fall Out Boy in fact I, t- I got to tell Pete Wentz about that and it, that was before pre-comeback that was when <laughs> Fall Out Boy were in total hiatus and he, I think he was that was really nice to hear because I mean she was about to do red and was like the biggest thing in the world and they were like literally at that point nothing so I you know yeah. maybe that's why they got back together I don't know maybe. <laughs> but yeah you're totally right that sounds like a follow-up boy song title yeah and, and speaking of emo let's jump to uh, number 110 uh, this is a song called two is better than one that I'm not sure I knew existed it's with uh, the band boys like girls and let's hear that song because I bet you the listener have never heard this song <laughs> Rob, that song, in your opinion, is better than Bad Blood. <laughs> you know, I've, okay, that's it, it's fine distinctions. Once we get to the bottom, that song is really like, yeah, is, yeah and what a, like it's such an emo duet trope to have like <laughs> a girl sing on this like really just sad ballad song about a relationship, and then the girl sings for literally two lines. Like, there's a lot of emo songs where they have that, and like the fact that's with Taylor Swift, and it's usually just like another band on their label or like a band that they tour with, and it's Taylor Swift on this Boys Like Girls song is why that they would put her on for just like that I, I, little much, time. Boys Like Girls, like how much cred do they have for the sort of hot topic? None, really, because it seems like this is 2009. She's already like this is post fearless. Like, She's already was, one of the world's biggest stars. And Boys Like Girls was around. I was very warped tour, and they were too pop for me. <laughs> <laughs> so that that is a very strange curio in the Taylor Swift uh, catalog. I don't even know. If it's I'm, I'm sorry catalog, to yeah. bring it to your attention. Yeah, Brian. no, it, it's she. First of all, she loves the idea of duets with dudes. Very few of them work out. Weirdly, I, you know, I'm not a huge Ed Sheeran fan, but I actually think she and Ed Sheeran sound good together. Oh, yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, she she likes the idea. She's waiting for the, you know, her, her proper male duet, her Lindsay Buckingham. Although I think she, the truth is she is her own Lindsay Buckingham, actually. Truly. But, well, but, but as, uh, you know, Brittany was saying about You're So Vain, the sort of like the Mick Jagger role of like, mm-hmm. hey, is that, you know, you can hear them <laughs> singing background if you know that Mick Jagger sings on yeah. You're So Vain vein but you have to kind of know he's there 
and you know she likes that it's it's weird in her duets with dudes how she usually plays a very supporting role like Britney said singing like yeah. two lines and you'd think that they'd be maybe a little more excited about having Taylor Swift singing on their song yeah like I'd if rather boys have like, like yeah. the little background from Boys Like Girls instead yeah. of just like have Taylor in the front yeah. you would figure <laughs> boys, like, boys Like Girls would be like Taylor why don't you take the first verse and I'll just kind of you know harmonize on the chorus like <laughs> so just to stop briefly at 108 with Silent Night where you say that she missed every single note in the melody and that it must have been they were in a real rush to get the Christmas album out I wonder if she even recalls making a Christmas album you know <laughs> the backstory of the Christmas album is really Uh-oh. kind of fascinating because you figure you know it's it's not hard to sing you know like eight Christmas songs in a weekend you know like <laughs> it shouldn't have been a hard record to make and the fact that they did not go back and redo this Silent Night makes me really curious about how this album happened I bet she's still pissed about it honestly I would be if I were her um, I said we were going to not talk a ton about the new music, but I, we are at number 86, which is uh, Look What You Made Me Do. And uh, Rob points out that uh, a lot a lot of classic hip-hop feuds uh, have inspired great songs. Um, I always liked LL versus Cannabis, which is later. That, that was, was a, great. That, that might have been one of the last great, you know, up until Jay-Z Nas, that was one of the, the, the last great ones. I, I, you know, 99% of your fans don't exist was one of the greatest yeah. disses of all time. L- it, it was worth Cannabis existing for, for that, like, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful beef. But this, I mean, it's funny that, you know, because people are so hyped and waiting for a new Taylor Swift song, so when this song came out, uh, people were, you know, calculating like whether it was an atrocity or a catastrophe. Mm-hmm. It's just a Taylor Swift song that isn't very good up to her st- usual standards. Yeah. Weirdly, I've grown to really like this song. I really enjoy it. I I forgot who pointed out, you know, I think Jody Rosen pointed out and he's right. It's it's super campy. And that's why I played it for Alice Cooper, who really liked it and felt that he could like reproduce he wanted he had a lot of specifically on this show, he he specifically said <laughs> production ideas that he and Bob Ezrin would bring to it to make it a little that's, spookier that and makes so campier. Much sense. It and it's so her much no more Mr. Nice Guy. Like <laughs> Yeah, yeah well, we, Brittany had like absolutely the best like argument on behalf of this song. Nobody can top it where she you know, argued that this is where Taylor is entering her super villain phase, mm-hmm. which I, if anything could make me like the song, it would be your argument about it. Yeah, I think that she, everything about the way that the music sounds, the um, promotion of reputation of the video, I mean, she is just like, this is fully evil Taylor. This is bad Sandy <laughs> at the end of Grease. Like, she's going to come out with a cigarette hanging out of her mouth, and what do you think about it instead? Like, that's what the album is going to be. So oh, it's, I think it's the song. I think I don't think it's going to be the whole album, but I think I, I we'll see. I yeah. mean, this is totally theoretical, of course. Mm-hmm. But by the time uh, you're hearing this, there may be more songs out. But I would bet that it's mostly the song or a couple mm-hmm. songs, not the whole album. But we'll see. I, I I do think yes, she was. Of course, she was being a supervillain. She was embracing the villain role and saying mm-hmm. all the things that people were in in sort of Eminem or a million other styles, just saying the things that people were going to say about her, about herself, especially in the video. And people don't want to give her credit for self-awareness. I'm not saying she's entirely self-aware. No one is. I'm not saying this song is perfect. I'm not saying this era is necessarily perfect. But people are so willing to read the worst into every one of her actions mm-hmm. and, and, and art 
right now it, it's a little bit nuts, including the absurd. I will just say this, and because I've said it on Twitter, the absurd accusation that she plans to release her album on purpose on the anniversary of Kanye's mom's death. That yeah. is ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. She, unless you assume that both she is the world's worst person and that she wants everyone to know for sure that she's the world's worst person because she, that's how serious her feud with Kanye is. And it also assumes that the whole album's about her feud with Kanye, which you already know is not true. Mm-hmm. It's so It just seems ridiculous. like there's something so misogynistic about assuming everything she does have to ha- has to have some counterpoint with, you know, like some famous dude who has a thing like against her. Yeah. Uh, so something something I like about this song is the sort of uh, as, as Brittany pointed out, within minutes of this song debuting, it, uh, you pointed out that it sounds a lot like the Pierce's, like the song they played yeah. uh, <laughs> on Gossip Girl at the prom in senior one. The, I've, got, the, it's, I've got a secret, yeah. yeah. Which is which is a great song. It has that weird sort of car- like carnival in a horror movie type of yeah. like intro to it, and that song also has a very similar quality. To That's it. what Alice wanted to play up. Yeah. He immediately was like, "Oh, you just need more dissonance under there, and it would have been more spooky and campy." <laughs> yeah. I mean, like he was ready to, to get in there. Right? That would be the, I, this the greatest way I want to hear. Yes. Yeah, no, that would, that would be yes. Number sixty-seven is innocent, um, and I don't particularly love this song. I think, and I, I don't think I'm alone, and I, I think that there's something in her effort to be empathetic. I think it's just the whole Kanye Taylor thing just is always uncomfortable. Like, it mm-hmm. just, it just, I just wish it had never happened, frankly, any of that. And, and I'm, she does too, and maybe he does too, I don't know. But in an attempt to be empathetic to him, it goes into a territory that I'm not totally comfortable with. I, I, I think it's a, a, a valiant effort, but it, it makes me a little uncomfortable. It, it, See, to, to me, this is, uh, it's a pretty good song that sounds good if you turn off the, you know, celebrity interpretation filter. Yeah. It, it, if you don't listen to it with preconceptions about the supposed premise of it, it's, you know, it's a good song. Also, you would never guess from the song itself that it's about this particular celebrity since the person in the song has nothing to do with the celebrity it's supposedly about. I mean, he grew up, <laughs> Maybe that's what like, the yeah. guy in the song like grew up on a farm catching fireflies. It's like, uh, no, no. <laughs> Kanye never had that face. The, uh, to me, like it, uh, to me, this isn't even a song about him, but yeah. If it's not a song about him, I like it fine. How about that? I feel that? like yes. it's one of those yes. things where she kind of loosely alluded to the fact that she would be addressing the situation. And I think when um, people started to like piece together the album, it seemed like the most logical. Because I thought Mean was about Kanye at first. And then I listened to it more closely and I was like, oh. Also, a thing about <laughs> Innocent that I had to bump it down a few notches for this. Something that really drives me crazy about the chorus is when she says, you know, it's not too late when you to come back after you lose your balance on the tightrope. And that's just the opposite of how a tightrope works. Do not go tightrope walking with Taylor Swift, people. She will get you killed. You lose your balance, you die. That's how a tightrope works. See, that, Ask the Walenda family. She was trying to get Kanye into a tightrope and murder him. It was all her plot. <laughs> so you're listening to Rolling Stone Music Now. We are talking about Rob Sheffield's incredible list, ranking every single Taylor Swift song. We also have Britney Spanos in the studio, and we'll be right back with a lot more. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. We're roughly on number 61. 
And this is where things start to get seriously good. And this is, everything has changed. And it's a duet with Ed Sheeran. And as we were saying, something about not all of her duets with dudes work, but Mm -hmm. Ed Sheeran, even if you don't like Ed Sheeran, it works, you know? And let's hear a little bit of that. You were saying maybe, Rob, that it's just that Ed is super psyched to be on a song with Taylor as opposed to other people who seem confused about why they're there or something. Yes. And and first disclosure, I am an Ed Sheeran fan. I, I think he's great and I think they sound great together. I like his records. I, so I'm an Ed Sheeran fan. I like in this song, it's different from her other duets, honestly, because it sounds like he's listening to her, which it, it doesn't in a lot of her other duets. It doesn't wow. sound like the, like the boys like girls guy is wow. listening to her or you know that John Mayer is listening to her, but Ed is listening to her and responding. That's how it sounds. So I totally believe them. I totally believe the absolutely preposterous story that they wrote this song together while bouncing on a trampoline in her yard. I think that's... How do you, I, think, how do you totally think her trampoline rules compare to the tightrope rules? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you fall off the trampoline, there's, there's going to be some damage done. That is true. Um, and then number 60 is Love Story, and I, I love this song. You have to love the sheer chutzpah of her saying, yeah, I'm going to write a song about Romeo and Juliet, but you know... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix that problem with the end of the plot. I'm going to change the ending of Romeo and Juliet. I love that. Like like the Taylor version of, of Macbeth, like they'll hug it out at the end. Like Lady Macbeth will say, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, King Duncan. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, number 58 is Shake It Off. And I think I like that song more than a lot of people. And some of this is... is uh, comes from following the the taste of a, a certain five-year-old that I know who, who really loves this song. It just works, you know, and, and I understand, you say the chorus is grating. I, I can understand that point of view. Yeah, to, to me, the chorus is is the weak link in, in an otherwise great song. I mean, the chorus is fine, but, you know, it's it goes on. The verses of this song I really, really, really like. I mean, once we're in the 60s, you know, I love everything. I mean, really, once you get into the 80s of this list, it's just like one good song after another. Yeah. Uh, but I like Shake It Off. It, it was a very clever introduction to the 1989 concept. And then number 56, Welcome to New York, which you defend against people complaining about it. And it did kind of set people off a little bit, didn't it? It's really funny, yes. <laughs> it's kind of comical, people's reactions to that song. It's, it, it's kind of beautiful. Taylor has that wonderful Paul McCartney thing of when she gets into something, it, it means she invented it. So in the song, she's like explaining to you what New York is. <laughs> I absolutely love that. And, and I, I absolutely love this song. How about you, Renee? I am indifferent to the song. Mm. I don't hate it as much. Like when I first heard it, I really didn't like it because I found it grating in the way that I continue to find bad blood. But it's really... I enjoy hearing it in public. I think it's kind of cute sometimes. Like, it, and it's funny that listening to "Welcome to New York" for the very first time before you know I knew that it was going to be her most complained about song ever of the pre-reputation <laughs> era. Uh, I I thought what people were going to you know really notice was the boys and boys and girls and girls part of the song, mm. which uh, gets at an aspect of New York music that is like very woven into the history of New York music. And it's funny that that line got so really uh, overlooked in the many, many, many conversations about everything that's evil about this song. <laughs> For me, that line, as much as the actual sound of 1989, which was, and people forget, you know, until 1989, there was a bit of country on Red, you know, and, and there even was a, a version of We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together with like banjo on it. That apparently, <laughs> Someone said it's been erased from the internet. I don't know if that's true, but, but you know, there still was some pretense that she was sort of a country artist until 1989. So for me, that line was a semi-middle finger to 
to country and a goodbye to country like I am now Blue State Taylor. Yeah. It is part of the melodramatic, self-dramatizing thing that is, again, if you're a fan, delightful. Like, she's not just moving to New York, she's moving to New York like in a montage from a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. like, like I'm sure she was waiting for the montage to happen as she moved in, you know? It's a montage, yeah. it's a montage more than a song even. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, I, I love the whole premise of coming to New York because the music like attracts you. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. given my personality, my obsessions with music, but to me, that's such a uh, such a beautiful way to talk about New York and the way New York is felt all around the world because of the music that comes out of it. Yeah. And it, it reminded me in a really specific way of a song from Mariah Carey's Glitter soundtrack, mm. which a lot of people think of as a minor work in the, in the <laughs> Mariah discography. Uh, I love her version of Last Night a DJ Saved My Life on the soundtrack yeah. of Glitter, wow. where, you know, this is a girl on Long Island hearing this, you know, downtown, trashy, early 80s synth disco song on the radio and saying, yep, New York, that's where I want to be. Mm-hmm. There's, there's something really beautiful about the way Mariah sings Last Night a DJ Saved My Life that reminds me of Taylor writing her own version of that with Welcome to New York. So you're listening to Rolling Stone Music Now. We're going through Rob Sheffield's list of every single Taylor Swift song ranked. And we are at number 51. Eyes Open from the Hunger Games Songs from District 12 and Beyond album. And this is a really cool song. Red had a lot of rock elements on it. This is, as you say, goes beyond rock into metal, really. You know, <laughs> let, and let, let's hear Eyes Open by Taylor Swift because I think this is a song that people forget about. Metally, for sure, but really, I mean, there's a lot of rock tailor, and we were talking, again, that that Red is sort of underrated or overlooked as Taylor's rock album because it was also her move away from country yeah. into pop, you know, but really when you listen to it now, a lot of it is like a Taylor Foo Fighters record. It's fascinating, a yeah. whole different thing. Very Springsteen-y record. It's Springsteen, again, like modern rock, Foo Fighters, you know, it's it's uh, it's interesting that that was the in-between, you know, and, uh, and the other thing, I mean, I guess I should say is my experience of Red is super weird because I was played like oh God, like five tracks or something in her record label office before I interviewed her for the cover story. They wouldn't play me the whole album. And so for me, those five tracks, which included like the, a lot of w- w- the, the popular singles, really, I think maybe that's my excuse. It kind of really distorted my opinion of the album because it was a long time before I got to hear the rest sure. of the album. Mm-hmm. So for me, there's like that EP and then the, it's so weird. I, I'm all screwed up on that one. But anyway, eyes open, Metal Teller, you like it? I like it. I like the song. Um, yeah, I've always loved when Taylor has a bigger rock sound to any of her music, and I think like songs like Style on 1989, like things like that are just where she really shines because it feels so left field in what she does. Like I feel like pop and country feel natural for her, but when she goes more the rock lane. What are your favorite like Taylor rock anthems? Well, I think like State of Grace and Red are yeah, so... We'll get to, yeah. Yeah, they're so big, and I think like... I was really kind of hoping that she would go in a more rock direction for this new album because I thought of like style and the way that 
um, the, the Ryan Adams interpretation of 1989 sort of yeah. really had my heart set. I'm like <laughs> Taylor Swift doing her own version of Nebraska. And she's like, we would just get it. And then one day, <laughs> one day it'll happen. Brittany tried to manifest the, the Taylor Rock album into the world. I was but you very know what? close to just like building an altar and like yeah. praying for it every day. <laughs> Instead, we'll, we'll always have red. We'll always have red. Um, you Belong With Me as a number 49. Love that song. You I know, love it I, too, yeah. Um, and number 44 is a song called Rome in that I saw her first performance of and I can't even talk about that song it's about a yeah. sick little boy and it, it's it's utterly devastating mm-hmm. I, I can't even talk about it without getting emotional um, all I'll say yeah. is it, it seems like you know a cheap and easy no, kind of thing yeah. to do and it's it's really it's it's beyond even what what fans think of is what she does this is the kind of thing she could do in her you know 30s 40s 50s and beyond yes yeah. and before I start weeping I'll move to number yeah, sorry, 30 sorry. I'll move to number 39 <laughs> the lucky one because it's actually connected in the sense that it is a totally non, it's not about love at all. It shows how broad Taylor's potential subject matter can be and where she could go in the future. The lucky one is is not a, a variation of the song Lucky, except it sort of is. It sort of is a variation of Britney's Lucky. It appears to be about a singer-songwriter of a previous generation. I sort of wonder whether it's about a specific one, hmm. someone she spent time with and who described their life. I could be wrong, but it, it, it's really, for people who think, blah, 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 she's self-obsessed and she can only write about this, about either her feud or her love life, I think this is great proof that, totally not true. And, and we'll hear that song for one second. Now we're into the real meat of the great stuff. White Horse, uh, number 37. So great. We're, we're now into like basically classics. Picture to Burn is a really early one. Um, and I mean, we didn't talk about something we talked about off the air, which is when you hear really early Taylor, the accent is striking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my God. The way she says pickup truck is... <laughs> Incredible. Yes. <laughs> More pickup trucks on that album, like, and then like versus the rest of her career, yeah. it's like nope. She got all her pickup truck songs out early. And I do love that in the in, in a recent video when there were all the different tailors and one was like y'all, you know, which is very very funny of her. And again, like self awareness that people don't give her credit for. Yeah. Um, back to December. Rob says uh, you're seriously dreaming if you think I'm bothering to Google the name of that Twilight guy, which is again like I mean that's already we were talking about like how these songs are going to eclipse the, their supposed celebrity inspirations. Here's one where we, you know, like the dude is much less famous than any individual Taylor Swift yes. song. Although he was on the cover of Rolling Stone once. And, uh, you know, the, the Best Day, a song about her mom. Yet another song that's that's a little broader than, than people want to imagine. Number 25 is Sad, Beautiful, Tragic, which Rob compares to a Mazzy Star song. And it does, it, it's a lovely song. And again, it's, it's, it's so wonderfully overblown in its depiction of a young breakup as basically like the apocalypse. It, yeah, it's, it, yeah, it, absolutely. It, it's, it's delightful. I love that aspect as, of it. As her. you could tell from the title, I love that. Any other songwriter on earth would have made the tough decision whether it was sad or tragic. You kind of don't need both of those in the same title. She was like, nope, this is sad and tragic. And I, I completely love this song. Uh, number 24, mine. If you really want to make Taylor uncomfortable, ask her about the whether she's a careless man's careful daughter. Um, because something there is, is drawn from somewhere. Let's put it that way. I think it's, it always interests me that nothing about that line, which is so great, is actually developed elsewhere in the song. It's sort of like 
it it just says it all, which is it, but it's just interesting because it doesn't reflect in the rest of the story. It's like it's sort of a dropped hint that should be, you know, it, it's it's a gun over the fireplace that doesn't yeah, quite be returned to later, it, you know. It's an interesting. I mean, it's an interesting song because there's a lot of narrative in it, and there's a lot told and a lot left out. So yeah. there's a lot of like. I mean, it's really interesting the way she develops the narrative in that song, which is different for her. Yeah. Um, also, also, I love how much that sounds like a Morrissey line. <laughs> totally. It's like, you are your mother's only son and you're a desperate one. It's totally like, the Morrissey-Taylor connection goes so deep for me. I, you know, I, I used to think that that was like just a funny Robism, but actually in its, again, the, the whole thing of being like super extra, that really Morrissey invented being extra. Absolutely, so yeah. so that, that is the thing. Uh, it's just, I find it so much more charming and Taylor is the thing <laughs> yeah. personally. But, um, and, and it's probably another reason why I love Hey Steven, because part of me thinks mm. it's about Morrissey, Stephen Patrick Morrissey. <laughs> Let's go to number 17, State of Grace, and and have, uh, and, and Brittany, you said that's one of your favorite songs. It yeah. is pretty cool. I love Red. I think Red is, I would count it as the best Taylor album. Um, I'd agree. Yeah. And State of Grace is, it's just so, I mean, you describe it as like a U2 vibe and it's got this big arena level, yeah. like you need to listen to it in an arena and it's incredible. It just feels like so massive. Yeah. So let's jump to number 10. We'll get really into the top 10, which is a pretty powerhouse top 10 of pop songs. My God. Um, narrowing it down. Absolute torture. Heartbreak was the national anthem. <laughs> I was really, once you get up to like the 40s, it's like, it seems like every song should be in the top 10. So number 10, our song. And you, that was the song that kind of made you a Taylor Swift song. Absolutely. I, I heard that song and knew nothing about her. Had no idea who it was by. I just heard the song and... Uh, it, it completely knocked me off my feet. And I was even more curious about the songwriter than the singer. I, I was like, who like has the songwriting credit on that? And and I was like, oh, very interesting. Has the same name as the singer. It, it, it was really at, right from the beginning. Our our song our song is a slamming screen door. It's just just amazing hook. Yeah. It's a perfect pop song. Yeah. It's incredible. Now let's hear it, especially the chorus, the we're on the phone and you talk real slow part. Our song is a slamming screen door. First of all, wow, the accent. <laughs> and, and, and second of all, uh, why not low? I always wondered that. Why is he talking slow instead of low? That's a really good question. Also, why is it when you think Tim McGraw rather than when you hear Tim McGraw? Yeah. It's like, it's, it, yes, it's funny that you single out the slow versus low. I've, I've wondered about that many a time. I you should have asked her when you know, I, I, doing I, the cover I'll, story. I'll put, I'll put it on the list if I ever get to talk to her again. Um, <laughs> Number nine is the title track to Red, which another Britney favorite. Great. It's, I love just like driving imagery a lot in music is always my favorite. It always really gets me. And Red is just like a perfect, just like you're loving him as like driving a new Maserati down a dead end street. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's absolutely. an incredible line. And Rob pinpoints this sort of Shania Twain thing, you know, because yeah. when people talk about Taylor's move from country to pop, you know, that is obviously a, a major, major predecessor. And not to mention that she, that Taylor loves Def Leppard and there's a huge connection there. So it's pretty fascinating. Perhaps a slightly underexplored connection there. Absolutely. And, and Red has all these elements together present. You know, it's yeah. it's a disco song. It's also a rock song. Also, there's a banjo that you hear all the way through it. It's a disco banjo. Yeah. And number eight is Clean, which is a little bit of a deep cut on 1989. Let, let's, um, let's hear that for one second. <laughs> 
Holy Ground, I don't think I like that song as much as probably both of you. What do you love about that song? That's such a Britney song. <laughs> that is, I knew it, yeah. That is so Britney. It is. It's just, it feels like the last remaining tendril of her country mm. life on that song. And it's just so beautiful. And so, I don't know. I just, I think that it's like a really just tender song that I like to listen to. It's not my favorite, favorite Taylor song, but it's beautiful. It's way up there for me. Also, weirdly <laughs> placed on red. It's it's sort of buried in the second half of the album, as, yeah. as we were talking about before on on the red tour. It was deep, the deep second cut. song that that the show began with "State of Grace" and "Holy Ground." What an amazing one to rock punch! It. Yeah, what it's an good. amazing song. And we were talking about there was a lot of apparent apparent negotiation back and forth between Taylor and her label pre nineteen eighty nine over sort of how country she was going to be and about her breakaway. So. She said that her albums pre-1989 were sort of not sonically consistent because of that. So I think if you're, when I hear you say like, gee, I wonder why that song was later on, I, I would imagine there's a, an argument there. But sure. there's always an argument there. And any, when sure. it, whenever you say why about a track listing, yeah. you know that there's an argument there that you could some, you could learn about. Uh, number six is Dear John, which, uh, great so song. Good. The best diss song. Amazing. Probably of all time. Agree. Yes. <laughs> Agree. It's just, it's savage. Yes. Such a good song. And, and I loved this song for months before I had any idea that it was about somebody <laughs> famous. Like, I loved this song for months and months before anybody mentioned. She, if she did an entire uh, album of 10 minute ballads, I would be over the moon. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's something really distinctive about Speak Now. All the songs yeah. are really long and they go on a little longer than, you know, it, some, it, an adult would have said, you know, you should, you know, knock it off after four and a half minutes and like all the songs on speak now get really good at the four and a half minute she writes part. a really good story yes really great scenes yeah it's a fantastic song really yeah. underrated song mm-hmm. number five we are never getting back together <laughs> uh utterly awesome song again self-aware mm-hmm. funny you know like hilarious it's self-mocking and and yeah. that's you know as is the next song blank space yeah. Um, and number which, which is the height of Taylor self mockery. Yeah, that, that video. I'm I'm still astounded that it exists. Yeah, I'm like Taylor Swift's videography is not always too. It's not like the best part of her career, and so it's you can forget a lot of her videos. But the blank space video is the first time I was like, wow, she is capable of making some like really excellent videos that just super meta, really just knocking down down herself and also everyone's critiques of her. Yes. Yeah. The, the slicing up when, when she yes when she stabs the cake and and like the heart shaped cake and blood comes out incredible and, and, when, and when she cuts the nipples out of the guy's shirt yes and just, it was like very specific <laughs> scissor work that's 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 a that's a just amazing song and an amazing video and, and just yeah number three is long live which is just the goosebumpiest song i defy anyone to get to that chorus without getting like a little emotional it, it just it just pulls it off uh, you know mm-hmm. as rob says it you know it's it, it's her common people her born to run her we are the champions um it's you know it, it's so obviously in the lyrics set up as a homecoming king and queen kind of thing but it, it it's it's about something broader and it's it says a lot about what she can do with sort of, again, the elevating of mundane experience into something 
operatic and moving. It's a it's a great song. No one's a bigger advocate for falling in love than Taylor, and like Absolutely. and Long Live, it just makes it sound like the most exciting, thrilling experience, and it's so beautiful and just it's yeah. I it's a, also a very deep cut. Like it's hard to. It's weirdly unfamous. Yeah, and and it's funny that she dropped it from her live show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it's weirdly unfamous given like how massive it is and 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 how, how massive it is as an album closing anthem yeah and, I, I and we should hear song. the chorus before we move on Long And number two is what I expected, Rob, for you to put as your number one. <laughs> that was my guess. If I had to guess, and it's this song, New Romantics, um, which technically wasn't on like the, the original 1989. It's like a bonus track, but it really should have been on the main mm-hmm. album. And, and it really is. It's like Taylor wrote this song for Rob Sheffield. In a way. <laughs> yeah. I've never felt so targeted by a song. <laughs> and it's so perfect. Every line is perfect. Every beat is perfect. Uh, her, her, I mean, for people who underrate her as a singer, which is lots and lots of people, mm. her vocal is absolutely astounding. The pace of it, uh, it it's, it's just a perfect song. Every minute in it is is just indispensable. Yeah. And number one, which uh, we might have spoiled earlier, but let's do a, let's roll into it anyway. Is all too well, and let's hear a little bit of that. I walked through the door with you. The air was cold, but something about it felt like home. Somehow, and I left my scarf there at your sister's house and you still got it in your drawer even now when that song like kind of digs its knife into your heart is the even now the yes. pause and then the even now and then that that that's just that's just great record making I mean, absolutely yeah. it's great singing which i think i think strictly as a singer is an aspect of her game that is bizarrely underrated and, yeah. and easy to overlook but just a masterfully sung song yeah, this song, I, I've just I don't think there's a better Taylor song. And after I mean we've talked about 115 of them, and I think that she's an excellent writer. But all too well is like the thesis of all of her great writing and her skills as a storyteller, as a person painting these scenes, like the refrigerator scene, like dancing in the yeah. in the kitchen to the refrigerator light, like incredible the scarf which i will be thinking about <laughs> until the day i die <laughs> Brittany knows more about this scarf than than, than anybody it's her I, scarfology I cannot be stepped to yeah the scarf <laughs> there's an amazing let's hear a, a little clip of maggie jillen talking about that fucking scarf <laughs> is it true that taylor swift left her scarf at your house once because she she said in a song i left your scarf at your sister's place you know, I never understood why everybody asked me about this scarf. The scarf. What? What is this? She said in a song, <laughs> she was singing in the song All Too Well about your brother, I left your scarf at your sister's place. Huh. Yeah. I, I I am in the dark about the scarf. Okay. It's totally possible. I don't know. Okay. But everyone asked, I have been asked this you before, have? and I've been like, what are you talking I about? I feel like you need to look for the scarf. It's possible. Yeah. <laughs> and then put it on eBay or bring it to the clubhouse. 
So that was Andy Cohen on Watch What Happens Live, who deserves a lot of credit for asking Maggie Gyllenhaal about that. Um, <laughs> so her the exasperation, it's its absolute perfect big sisterdom. Like, also, I'm just sad that she's never heard All Too Well. I feel like she needs to listen to All Too Well. It's a great might, there might be a little yeah, bit I have of, my yeah. doubts about how sincere she is in this claiming not to... I, you know, but she probably, you know, she probably like used it to you know, it's wipe framed. her refrigerator one day. She has know, it framed and, above her fireplace, and she looks at it, and there's a gold plate that says All Too Well... 2012. But does it still <laughs> smell like innocence? <laughs> On that note, <laughs> lowering the tone. Sorry, man. This has been um, a look through Rob Sheffield's incredible list that's on rollingstone.com right now of every single Taylor Swift song ranked. And we've had Brittany Spanos and Rob Sheffield in the studio to talk about it. Thanks, guys. Thank Thanks, you. Brittany. Thanks, Brian. So this has been Rolling Stone Music Now. We'll be back next week at 1 p.m. on Sirius XM's Volume Channel, Channel 106. In the meantime, download us as a podcast, subscribe to us as a podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, and try to leave us a, a nice review on iTunes if you can. We'd appreciate it. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.